Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 133, Winter Flying, Stabilized Approaches, and Flying Sick, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome aviation friends, I'm here with uh, my winter flying friends. Uh, joining us this evening is uh, Eric Crump. Eric, welcome. I'm sorry, what is winter again? Is winter. that the cold one? Yeah, yeah, that's that cold one. The one where it's you when it gets snow. down into the 70s. It, it, oh, 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 right. When it's not 85 outside most right. days. Grant do you, do you that. notice yeah, okay. how I put you first, Eric? Because I you... did, yeah. I, I, when I saw the title of this episode, I was like, should I really be on this one? <laughs> I'm not sure this really <laughs> pertains to me. Not applicable is my answer to winter flying, but hi, everybody. <laughs> welcome, Eric. And for those, uh, the other people on the podcast, it does affect. Uh, welcome, Rick. That's uh, Rick chuckling Hello. here. <laughs> and yes, I, I grew up in South Florida. And I, as I recall, winter was the week where I had to wear my sweater just to get some use out of it. <laughs> well, at least until 10 o'clock in the morning, and then you yeah, can take ex- it off. But just exactly. up until 10, you need some, you need some sleep. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. At least you don't have those bad sweater parties, you know, those bad uh, oh, yeah. Christmas ugly sweaters. Sweaters. Oh, ugly sweaters. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Also joining us from somewhere that does get a lot of snow is Victoria. Welcome, Victoria. Hey, hey. I did a lot of flight training in the winter, so I'd rather be in Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, Larry, you see snow like, what, nine months out of the year? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> And, that bad, but it is it is a little bit more than down in Florida. Yes, it sure is. And Russ, Russ, uh, you know, you guys go from hot to to snow and ice within like a day. Sometimes it seems. Yeah, we, we here in Oklahoma, we're waiting on winter. Uh, we do expect winter to arrive sometime this year, but today it was sixty degrees and sunny, so I'll take that any day. Awesome. Let's do the pre-flight. And, and folks, uh, welcome. We have actually a couple of people could make it this evening because of illness, and we're going to talk about that, uh, but we are going to talk. Uh, Tom was actually about to come on, but uh, he did his checklist, I am safe, and he couldn't fly, and he couldn't come on the podcast today. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, a little bit of a teaser there. But before we get going here, a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, let's see. Oh, a sponsorship, of course, is uh, AviationCareersPodcast.com. For scholarships, career counseling, and interview preparation and more, go to AviationCareersPodcast.com. Uh, another announcement, uh, we always like to have a shout-out to one of our favorite Instagram listeners and posters here. He, she's, she does an amazing job, I think, as far as taking pictures. And she's going to be on uh, the podcast, hopefully, here shortly. And that's Mandy, Pilot Mandy, on Instagram. You can go find uh, her out there on Instagram, Pilot Mandy. It's really, really cool. She's uh, very creative and gosh, I don't want to give it away, but she has a really special story. Uh, I thought I had problems and had challenges in my flight training. Here's somebody who who had some very incredible physical challenges 
and uh, was able to overcome them. So Pilot Mandy, shout out to her there and the wonderful work she does. Also, let's see, our next announcement is Eric Crump. Eric, there's a quick announcement you have about uh, some of the students at your school. Absolutely. I like to brag on people, um, especially when they do good things. I mean, that's perfect time to brag. Um, but uh, four of our students actually just got interviewed and, and offered conditional job offers from ExpressJet Airlines uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So very proud of them and the hard work that they did and appreciate the outstanding um, career counseling and interview prep provided by uh, yours truly, uh, Valeri uh, Anonymous over there, um, <laughs> doing a great job. Um, I can vouch for his uh, interview prep skills, guys, because um, so far our students are 100%. Um, everybody who's uh, interviewed for the position has gotten the job. So I uh, thank you, Carl, for your help and uh, always participating, helping out with the kids. And then also congrats to the students who uh, really put forth a lot of effort and congrats on uh, your future door opening up to you. Yes, uh, especially their efforts were incredible. They, uh, I, I take a little bit of credit, but most of it's because of them. They're very sharp, amazing students, and uh, some some really, really interesting people. I mean, one of the cool things about doing that interview prep, Eric, was the varied backgrounds of the people that are getting into aviation as a career. And that's the other cool thing about Stuck Mike is there's so many people from so many different backgrounds uh, that get into aviation and absolutely love it. We have an age range of, uh, what is it, Eric, from 60 to maybe 19 or 20? In that group that you had in front of you, you had 20 to 60. Yes, there's a 40-year age span just in that group. And that's one of the things I really love about our program because it's such a – a diverse group of people from all kinds of backgrounds and some of them are just getting into aviation at you know 16 18 some are coming into it as a second career in their mid-20s or early 30s and then you have people who are done with one phase of life getting ready to go into the next and they're like you know what i want to do with the next half of my life aviation that's what i want to do and that's that's so cool i enjoy that a lot it is cool. And, you know, hopefully uh, people listening here today will get that fire in their belly and say, hey, I want to go out and do some aviating. I know some of you listening right now aren't flying right now, but uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to try to figure out a way to get up in the air. I think what uh, people are doing with the clubs and trying to get people back into flying is is a great thing. Actually, I'm finally getting back into general aviation as far as personal type of flying. And, and believe me, I have the same issues. You know, it's time and money. And uh, just, you know, the stars align. I kept looking and looking, and I was able to uh, get involved with a Moody M20C. So I'm very excited about that. A little bit more in the future about that. Hopefully some pictures very of me nice. flying around in that. Uh, it's going to be a blast. I uh, can't wait to go uh, get checked out and everything. Uh, it's just getting some new avionics. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as a teaser in the end of the podcast here. But uh, good stuff. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for that announcement. By the way, I know it's hard to do this, but if you know somebody or you yourself have an accomplishment, please write us at contact at stuckmikeafcast.com or just go to stuck mikeafcast.com contact and uh you know it it was always hard to brag about yourself unless you're a crump of course but it's uh ouch carl that was a twist i know i don't do that often i had to (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, and we're, what are we? We're just like five minutes in, and know, already the barbs are out. <laughs> but we love you, Eric. And and but but seriously though, if you if you have somebody that you know that's soloed, etc., just a big shout out. Please let us know. Uh, it's really it's a wonderful thing when people hear their names and say, hey, you know, shout out to John for for uh, soloing, etc. You don't have to include their last name. You can say the airport and what they've done and any accomplishments. A shout out to somebody who started a new flying club, that type of thing. Any announcements you have, please send them to us. I'd really appreciate that. As a matter of fact, uh, we do have one person that wrote in to us, and uh, I'd like to read that email real quickly before we get into the main part of our podcast here. Uh, it comes in from, uh, it's feedback from the Sully Review. And this person says, good morning, all. It was morning when he wrote this, obviously. I've just recently begun listening to your podcast. Having been a semi-unfulfilled aviation fanatic all my life, finding aviation podcasts has been a revelatory experience for me thank you all for taking the time and resources to share your knowledge and the love for aviation with us listening to your review of Sully this morning on the way to work I found myself shocked relieved and then included for lack of a better term I believe it was Carl who said it at first that he almost walked out of the movie there was my shock and then he said because it was so real my relief and then he began to go on into the reasons he felt the way he did about the movie. I'm not a pilot. My father had planes as I was growing up, and we were always flying somewhere through my teen years. 310s, 421s, 172s. Spent lots of time watching the 421 in trade for lessons. Thanks, Dad. I soloed on my 16th birthday, passed the written, then never took my private pilot flight test. Life came along, and I didn't fly. Then in my 40s, I started flying again, took my written and passed it, and never went for my last flight test. Well, I'll be 60 next week, and I'm currently reading everything I can, watch YouTube videos of airplanes taking off and landing on my iPad, and still crane my neck to see what's flying overhead when I hear a plane. My reaction to Sully has puzzled me. We saw it opening night. I wanted to cry, laugh, rip the theater seats, arms, hold my wife close, fly jets and hail Captain Sullenberger as a hero but also know he was doing his job. I hope most airline pilots would have done exactly what he did. So to hear Carl say he wanted to walk out because it was so real kind of validated my feelings. I felt like I wasn't alone, though I really had no idea what it would be like to go through all that, but I knew that I knew something about it. Hats off to you guys that fly us around and learn your craft so well. Hats off to the weekend pilots who went ahead and took the tests. I'm part of your group. Though I'm here on the ground cheering you on. Maybe I'll go hang out at the airport this weekend. That was from Mac in Austin, Texas. Well, Mac, that was an awesome email. That was uh, just incredibly inspiring, your story. Absolutely. And uh, we would love to hear more about your progress. Sounds like you're uh, getting back into the flying. And, you know, Mac, I would suggest uh, going out and finding someone and going for a flight. And uh, going up in an airplane, like a 172 or, or whatever you can find at the airport. And maybe even join a flying club. You don't have to have your pilot certificate to join a club usually. So, uh, again, thanks for that email. If you have an email you want us to read on here, just go to contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. And, you know, Carl, 60 is the new 40. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're able to get your license uh, now, you know, whether you're 20 or 40 or 60, uh, you could be flying another 20 or 30 years. So don't, don't even think about your age. Just go do it. 
Yeah, I like that. It's it's true. You can start at any time. You can start flying, just like we were talking about. There's a huge age range, even for people getting into it as a profession. Uh, so you can do this, and it's a lot of fun, and I hope we do inspire some people to start flying again. Now entering cruise flight. Anyway, on to the show uh, and our cruise flight. First thing, let's talk about something that's coming up around the corner. And by the way, if you look at the picture that we have in the, the episode here for 133, it looks like it's fall at the airport. And uh, some of us have actually seen some of that stuff uh, on the ground, the snow. And uh, so winter flying is upon us. And uh, there's some really great things about winter flying. Uh, it's cooler. The airplanes uh, usually uh, perform a little bit better. But they also, uh, you know, they have a couple other issues uh, with w- flying in the winter, and, and that has to do with ice and snow and, and taxing, et cetera. I do want to point out one thing. We still have that fly- the winter weather flying, the practical guide to uh, winter flying that uh, Len Costa and I did a while back, and that's at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, you can watch the first video for free. I have a link to that, and it describes many different things as far as uh, uh, winter flying and also uh, introducing you to winter flying. A couple few things have, have changed this year, but but let's first discuss uh, what we need to do to start preparing ourselves uh, for winter flying. And uh, I'll just put out my my first thing that I do when I am preparing for winter flying, and that's actually just going out and and getting some training and doing some talking. I think one of the things that's important, if I don't have a CFI, is to talk to the other people, say I'm partners with in an airplane or that I'm in a club with or at the FBO, and start getting some knowledge on what we need to do before we get ready for the winter. Things like, you know, how do we get the ice off the wings? You know, how do we go about getting fuel in the winter? Do I need to, to add anything to the airplane? Do I need to heat the airplane? How do I heat the airplane in case, you know, and, and make sure I don't melt anything? And how do I turn on the heater? What are the procedures at my local school? So a lot of there's a lot of discussion, I think, that goes on uh, before we fly in the winter, and I think that's really important. As a matter of fact, at the airlines, uh, we have courses that we have to take every season. And uh, those courses, of course, will, will tell us, you know, what we need to do to de-ice and also what, how to be prepared for taxing and also for takeoff. You know, what's interesting is these are the things that I do. I'd like to, to hear from some of the other instructors, et cetera. I know, Eric, you you said you don't do a lot as far as uh, preparing for winter flying, but there is something unique uh, even in the climates in Florida about winter. And uh, what are some of those things, Eric, as far as something unique, especially in the central Florida area that you have well, to I watch I was half out? joking about the winter thing. It's just because it doesn't get very cold. Um Uh, for very long. But one of our biggest issues in Florida are temperature inversions. So we struggle with that a lot because we've got two competing sea breezes that fight over our weather. Um, And even though it may be warm and snuggly at the surface, if you get up to three, 4,000 feet, you may have, you may actually cross through a freezing level and then go back into warmer air again. So it is, it's absolutely possible to pick up ice at low altitudes in central Florida, um, even on a somewhat cloudy day. So we do actually have to think about things like that. Um, and then we also have to deal with, uh, the other, uh, nasty, uh, thing that comes from temperature inversions, which is fog, lots and lots of ugly early morning ground fog. And which obviously creates a hazard for visibility, but then it just it lingers. It stays around forever. Um, we we kind of joke about um, doing uh, a primary private pilot training 
uh, in January and February um, that you might as well do all of your instrument training in January uh, because it, from from you know sunrise to 10 o'clock every morning is fog and grossness uh, if the wind isn't blowing. So we do have that to deal with too. Um, and I think you know for my thing, even though we don't get um, what you know some people consider real winter weather conditions, one of the things everybody knows that I love and and greatly extol the benefits of flight simulation. It's a great um, a great tool uh, here for uh, flight simulators, and I'm not even talking about you know big high dollar devices that are even FA approved, but just you know X-Plane or Microsoft Flight Simulator is a great way to simulate icing conditions, watch what it does to the airplane. The simulations are actually rather good, um, and uh, and so at least from my experience, um, even before I had big FA approved simulators available to play with. Uh, that was something that I usually did uh, when it came back to winter season again was just to go through that process of maybe shooting an instrument approach or dealing with, um, you know, uh, descending through a freezing level uh, just to, uh, you know, just reorient myself with, OK, this is what happens. This is how th- these are those warning signs that I'm starting to pick up ice um, and not even on the airfoils, but maybe uh, engine ice. Uh, because that's also a concern, especially in Florida, where we're descending from multiple altitude levels through humid uh, through humid air. We got to deal with that. So anyway, that's my two cents. And you still do get icing. I mean, you, you really do up absolutely. Altitude. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, in the altitudes, we fly five, six thousand feet. Interesting, uh, as far as training is concerned, you talk about those challenges and being able to overcome them with the simulations. Um, do you ever hear back from students and say, "Hey, you know, the first time I..." was involved with icing was maybe 15 years later, you know, because all I do is flying around Florida. I mean, there's, um, I'm wondering if you've ever had that experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we hear that a lot. It's and, and, and training for real density altitude is, is another issue. You know, we, we definitely have density altitude issues in Florida, especially in the summer. That's when those happen mostly, but, um, not the high altitude airport stuff like out West. So our students train in a uh, low altitude area, um, you know, mostly coastal, and then, um, you know, find themselves flying in very diverse weather conditions. And I think, again, that's where simulation becomes so important because there's, um, there is a limited uh, number of, in, of environmental issues that I can actually provide in real-world training here. Um, not that I want to take some nubile student into icing conditions to show them what it's like either, because <laughs> that's not exactly uh, what I would consider to be useful uh, training uh, either. But, um, yeah, I, I think simulation is important there because we do have the ability to simulate and at least practice talk through a lot of things that people otherwise wouldn't see until they saw it the first time for real in an airplane. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's some great stuff. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I know Larry up there, they, they get some cold days up in the, in your neck of the woods. And uh, gosh, I tell you, we, we probably see a lot of snow and ice on the aircraft. Um, have you had a lot of experience flying in the colder weather and also in the ice and snow? So as I've mentioned in a, in a previous podcast, I don't fly as much in the winter. Um, but first, uh, I thought this was a family podcast, Carl. Because you started off with the four-letter S-word, snow, and Eric, you mentioned the F-word of fog. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, those those are both just really bad things for aviation. Um, I'm sorry anyway. to use such slanderous language, Larry. I, I apologize. No, so, I, so it got me nervous. With, with, that in mind, with that in mind, I want to talk about TP, tire uh, pressure. Oh, Okay. Yeah, you know, tire pressure, right? I thought we were talking about icing encounters and the need for TP, but okay, no, we're actually talking about tire pressure. Got it. Yes, tire pressure, of course. So um, 
Uh, I fly a DA-40 a lot with my club, and I'm grateful to have it available to me. It's it's a fun airplane. Um, but it has tire pants on it that are really, you know, they, they enclose most of the tire. And so it's really difficult to access the um, a valve stem and take a tire pressure reading with a with a gauge. You have to remove the tire, I'm sorry, you have to remove the uh, wheel pants to do that. Uh, later versions of the wheel pants have a door. Ours don't. Um, and so it, you know, you, you kind of don't ever get the tire pressure, you know, in, in a good way. Um, and so you have to look at the tire, but because most of it's enclosed, it's pretty easy to, you know, glance down there if you're not, if you're not really careful about it. And in the winter time, um, the, uh, you know, just colder air and so forth, you know, can make can make it really hard. You know, it's cold outside. You don't want to be out there. You're shivering. Um, but tire pressure is so important because I've had three. Um, I'll just call them events. They aren't incidents. They aren't accidents. They're just happenings um, where I've had uh, flat tires on landing. You know, they were fine on takeoff. They were fine in uh, pre-flight, and yet when I landed, um, you know, I blew tires. And so um, that can that can make a really strong pull to the left or to the right, whichever uh, you know main gear wheel goes off. Uh, one of them was in a Cub, so that's you know uh, extra uh, exciting. Um, but especially in the winter, tire pressure is one of those things that people don't think about too often, and uh, it, it I think it's more important in the winter than it is even in the summer. Interesting point, you know, and the, another thing that helps with the tire pressure is putting a different, uh, instead of putting air, putting nitrogen in the tires. Uh, and that, uh, of course, with the airliners, they do that. I've heard of actually general aviation pilots doing that. Uh, of course, oh, cool. It, yeah. And, and, and it's not even that much more expensive. It's just, the, it was just not readily available. That's the, um, yeah. it, it doesn't cost that much more. It's just finding it in a, in a maintenance shop. Right, right. And and that's that's actually something that we, you know, obviously having a mechanic that's a, a partner in an airplane helps, but uh, you know, nitrogen actually it's amazing because it doesn't have it doesn't come to all the different temperature changes, but uh I know uh Victoria, you uh you had mentioned something about tire pressure before and uh I know up north you have quite a quite a few uh different issues and the other day we were talking to you you were uh, watching the snow come down around you but uh how about up where you are in in, in the maryland area and is there uh, there's some issues there with with flying in the cold weather yeah i've um i've had the similar issue that larry has i actually had it um uh because of the wheel pant thing it's always hard to check it and um you never know. It could be, you know, they're much lower uh, upon landing. But um, besides just the tires is the um, the the sh- um, shoot. Now I forget the word I was waiting to say it. <laughs> the shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, those can lose their pressure as well. And um, also batteries. Uh, you, If you have an older battery, that doesn't work as well in the winter as well. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that you wind up uh, replacing sometimes a little more often than, especially in the south, bringing a you know battery from the north down south, et cetera. And uh, you know, interesting too is uh, the oil. Uh, remember we talked about heaters. I, I mentioned something there. Um, does anybody else have any experience with with heaters on aircraft? Have you ever heated an engine? Anybody? I mean, I've I've only done it. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I did all my I did all my college training in Tennessee, and we got plenty of cold days. Um, but especially, and I can I understand Larry's love for the 40 because we had a fleet of 20s and 40s. And, um, I, I, you know, Larry and Victoria, honestly, I n- I've never understood 
wheel pants on an airplane that size because you're talking about you know three to five knots to not be able to see the condition of the tire. It's not, it's just not worth it. I mean, it looks pretty. Don't get me wrong, but then uh, you just you can't see the tire. Right? But I, I know what you mean. I've been there and done that. Ice um, can hide in there too. Yeah, well, anything can hide in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to go feeling around in there in Florida because there might be a snake in there. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but uh, anyway, no, I, I feel your pain when it comes to the wheel pants. But uh, yeah, we we had plenty of cold days, and you had to go out, especially before we got the twenties and forties. Even old carbureted one seventy twos, you just go out there, and we had a little um, <laughs> little uh, propane heater with a but a duct that somebody had t- uh, duct taped onto this propane heater and we would just go ahead and stick it in the cowling. Um, and when I used to work line, um, if, you know, if a friend of mine was flying, um, after I got done heating the engine, I would put it inside the, uh, window of the 152 or the 172 for a while and heat up the interior for them. <laughs> but, uh, but what yeah, also it's, works. No, it's you real. can put a, put a blanket over the engine and just a light bulb underneath. Um, or, uh, a hairdryer. I've used that before. <laughs> Uh, you know, you you kind of joke about uh, heating up the interior of the aircraft, but um, I've got a friend who flies a Mooney, Carl, oh. and uh, the gyros were getting old. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't warm enough, the gyros wouldn't spin upright. So he had a heater that he left plugged in uh, all the time on the interior of the aircraft in a hangar um, just to keep the gyros warm. Yeah, yeah, I've had that experience, you know, especially waking up in the morning. I've got to warm up before my gyros get going in my brain. So I, <laughs> I understand how that works in the airplane. <laughs> the, you know, it, what's interesting about this is we're we're not we haven't talked anything about flying in the winter. We've been talking all about preparing to go flying. It seems in the winter, the the real thing, and, and this is a common theme here. It's all the preparation and getting off the ground. It's getting the airplane ready. It's it's making sure you don't fly into known icing conditions. And, uh, you know, another thing, too, I think a lot of people don't realize, it doesn't have to be IFR, does it, to fly in icing conditions. You know, we, we can go out there on a VFR day and have freezing rain uh, and snow that actually starts melting and adhering to your aircraft. And, you know, I've had that a few times. The other, you know, the other thing is when we're in a hangar, in a heated hangar, and, uh, you know, we have some issues when we bring the plane out, if the ice is melted and then it turns to water and it's inside the controls, when it comes outside or you get in the air, it freezes. I've had that happen to me when I took off. I had, you know, the, the controls freeze, you know, on the trim tab. And it's kind of a pain to actually fly with that. Um, I know, Russ, you guys get a lot of ice storms, I think, in Oklahoma, don't you? Yeah, we don't get a whole lot of snow, and fortunately the weather isn't real cold for months on end generally, but what we do get at least a couple times a year is ice storms, and so everything that, that everybody's been talking about so far is is all along the lines of basically taking more time for pre-flight, right? And that, well, you might want to add a little bit of time to uh, chip the ice off <laughs> off your hangar door so you can open it up, too. That's something that we, we, we've encountered more than once out here. You get out to the out to the airport and bite sunny day, but you can't get the hangar open. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just not something you'd expect, but, uh, definitely a factor. Uh, but yeah, good discussion here, guys. 
Yeah, I I think the one important thing out of this whole discussion is just what we're doing here. You know, get out to the airport and talk it over with your instructor. Say, hey, I want to go over winter weather flying. Uh, there's so many cool things out there on the Internet. The FAA has some great resources. And, of course, we'll have a, a link to the uh, practical guide to winter flying. There's a good introduction in there uh, with Lynn, and a couple things have changed uh, recently, and the FAA has changed a few things as far as reporting of braking action. Normally, we don't worry about that too, too much as general aviation pilots, but say you're running into an airport that does have braking action reports, uh, there's there's a whole new standard that's out there. And, uh, you know, through the taking off and landing assessments, they've actually uh, changed things to numbers, and you're going to see that in your ATIS reports. I'm not going to go into it too much, but uh, what I'd like you to do is, is link to that link that we have in the podcast that talks about that. But just remember one thing. Uh, they're doing uh, medium, poor, nil, but they're getting rid of one of the terms in the breaking action reports. If you wind up flying into one of those airports, they're getting rid of fair. Uh, so just to give you a heads up on that one. So if you are look, going into one of those areas, just uh, remember that. So a couple things have changed there. This is more for you know the the people that are flying all the time in the winter and uh, air carriers and also uh, corporate pilots, et cetera. But there's a lot of folks out there that did do some consistent flying, uh, and there's there's a lot of things we can talk about the actual flying portion of it. Uh, but the most important thing when you're flying in the winter is get knowledge. Don't go flying if you think that there's no icing because it can uh, be somewhat disastrous uh, once you go up there. Uh, moving on to our next topic, this is a great discussion. If you have any questions, of course, send us uh, some feedback. Uh, one of the things that, that we talked about earlier is that somebody that was, you know, it, here that was coming to the podcast couldn't couldn't go flying because they were sick. I was talking to uh, an airline pilot and uh, discussed, you know, flying sick. And w- well, and, and you have to be careful when you actually say that. Are you fit to fly? Or are you not? Uh, and there are many different levels of, of sickness. But something that I think is really important is to do a self-assessment. And I know that uh, Eric has at their school and at most schools, they have a checklist that they go through and to define what their their minimums are, their personal minimums. But uh, part of that has to do with their actual, their, their personal being and if they're fit to fly. Eric, can you talk a little bit about what some of those checklists are? And we'll have some links to those. Uh, sure, yeah. So before all of our students fly, and that's not just the students, by the way. I mean, if I'm doing a um, uh, checkout flight or a standardization flight, which I still have to do on a regular basis, I still do this too. Everybody who gets in an airplane at Polk State College fills out what we call a pre-flight risk assessment form. And the purpose of this thing, really, it uses the FAA's PAVE acronym to assess um, you know, basic risks associated with the pilot, the airplane, the environment that you're flying in, and any external pressures that exist. The idea of this, though, is for students who lack experience and hours to really take some time to pause before they get in an airplane, just like we were talking about with the icing discussion, to consider what are the risks today? What are the risks with this airplane, with this instructor? Um, at, from this airport, um, and really to make it a case-by-case, day-by-day, how much sleep have you had? Um, are you feeling ill? How long has it been since you recovered from your last illness? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but the idea there is to make sure that it's not you know, using the word safety because it sounds nice in a sentence, but to, to really to build a, a safety mindset where what we lack in experience we make up for in good decision-making. And I think eventually we get to a point where we we've flown 
this operation, we've done this. But I think, Carl, you could say even from your um, from your perspective with a lot of hours, um, someone who's working as a professional aviator, um, you know, in the system, this is still something you do. You may need a form to do it anymore, but you still go through this exercise in your brain before you get an airplane. And I think for the for the students or even for the pilots, the certified pilots who, who just don't have the experience in hours, this is a great way to sit down and really think about these things before we go get in an airplane. Sickness obviously being one of those major things we need to think about. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Eric. I think a lot of people don't realize there's been a new rule that was put in place. Every single flight I take as an airline pilot, I have to sign my name and say that I'm fit to fly. Every single flight. That's a requirement now from the FAA. Uh, mm. th- things have changed. And, uh, you know, that, of course, has to do with the FR 117 and the fit to fly. We actually, every single leg, have to, to sign something saying, yes, I am fit to fly. Uh, and that's important, I think, because a lot of us, and, and, and we're not just talking in the level of professional pilots and, uh, you know, flight instructors, but a, a lot of us do tend to fly when we shouldn't be flying because there's some external pressures to go up. And sometimes uh, we don't. We don't think about it, and, and we sometimes need someone else to help us. We need to look in a mirror. We need someone else to, to interject. You know, I know I've had someone say that to me. Hey, you know, you, you look pretty bad. You really probably shouldn't go up and fly today or, or do that last lesson because you look pretty horrible. And uh, that was like the light bulb coming on. That was the warning sign. Uh, well, that comment I made didn't have anything to do with you flying. I was just remarking that you look terrible. I mean, that yeah, no, I know it had know. nothing that's, to do with you flying. Yeah, I mean, that's hereditary. Um, but yeah, that is. <laughs> the, but it's still seriously. I mean, you know, Eric, I know you've done. I mean, I don't, I don't want to call anybody out, but there's a lot of us listening right now who've gone up in the air and have flown sick. Another thing that we've done uh, as pilots in general, I'm going to talk in general is we might go up in the air and fly sick and take some medicines that help us, uh, either with our cough, our sinuses, uh, et cetera. There's, there's some cautions there as far as the medicines are concerned. And, and there's a lot of advances now, and the FAA has been you know, very progressive as far as the different medicines we can take. But you have to be really, really careful uh, and check to make sure that whatever it is that you're taking isn't going to have some adverse effects or any type of side effects. Uh, and there are certain medicines that, you know, I, I know I've had to go through this where I have to, you may have to pull yourself away from flying, take those medicines for a while, and make sure there are no side effects before you're even allowed to go back to flying. As a matter of fact, uh, that's defined, actually, by the FAA, what you have to do with certain medications. I mean, there there are so many of them out there. But, you know, some innocent type of medications... Uh, they may not be that innocent. Uh, I know uh, one in particular that gets a lot of folks at work is um, 222s, uh, which is, let's see, that would be aspirin with codeine in it. And codeine is one of those things you really shouldn't go, you can't go flying with. I mean, it's, it's not, a, not a good mm-hmm. thing. And, but we don't know that. I mean, it, it's really, really important. Uh, there are some other drugs out there, I'm sure, that are, seem innocent when you first look at them. But they aren't. I mean, I don't know if anybody else, like, Russ, do you have a, a, a suggestion as to what might be seem innocent and it's not? Well, I would just think about NyQuil. I mean, you know, you have, you know, what's it, a stuffy head so you can rest medicine or whatever, right? That's how well, they advertise it. What's wrong with NyQuil? Well, it's not that it contains alcohol. I mean, it does, but that's not a problem. But if you go on, uh, I, I, there's a list, I think AOPA has it, 
uh, you're supposed to self ground for 40 hours after taking NyQuil. Oh. 40 hours. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's like two days, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that that's huge. I guess it stays in your system or whatever and can impair whatever. So I'm not a doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a lot longer than you'd think for something like NyQuil. Well, you're affected um, differently at altitude then as yeah. well. Um, that's kind of why they have the eight hours bottle to throttle. You may be fine on the ground, but once you get up there in the thinner air, things change pretty quickly. Interesting. You know, uh, yeah. that, just bringing that up, uh, Victoria, you also have to think about not just ourselves, but how about our passengers? Have we ever thought about that? I mean, we we like to take people flying. You know, what if they've been out either drinking or, or taking some type of medicine or they have slept, uh, some type of respiratory problems? Uh, actually had to uh, tell someone they couldn't come flying because they had a respiratory issue and said, hey, you know, we're going to be up around 8,000 feet. That's like standing on top of a mountain. Uh, you know, you you may not be able to breathe that well. And, and Are you sure you really want to do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd have quite the headache. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of devices for that, uh, being safe for flight again. We, it, there's, it, it seems confusing at times, but, you know, you, you use common sense. For instance, this person had... Um, a device and it was able to an oxygen concentrating it was able to to help them breathe and concentrate the oxygen so they can breathe but uh didn't have enough battery to last the the flight the short flight we we're going to do and it's like well gosh you know that's not going to help us at all and uh, so mm-hmm. you know we really shouldn't go let's go recharge that thing first and then we'll go out flying uh same yeah. thing with with everything else there there's there, it's so dynamic we we don't realize that there's so many things that can affect us in flying and I think it was Russ that mentioned it that was really important. There is a resource for us, though. And uh, one of the organizations I think that's awesome is AOPA. They have so many resources, and uh, they can help you with learning whether you can fly or not. As a matter of fact, I, I was able to get uh, some information from them not too long ago about a medicine that I was taking. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, and, and I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that I think is, is really neat about joining these organizations is finding out that information and having these discussions. And, uh, you know, I'd love – actually, we should probably have an, uh, an aviation medical examiner on and, and talk a little bit about this because uh, there are things that can get your, you into trouble as far as taking them without and, – and reporting them uh, to the FAA. And I think that's something I would love to do at some point. So if you're listening and you're an AME, love to have you on. That's for sure. Uh, so anyway, the uh, – but flying – fit personal minimums we'll have a link to that uh i would say that flying sick is something that a lot of people do uh and uh the level of sickness is something that you have to look at are you really you know if you have a Mm -hmm. a little bit of a cold maybe maybe not uh but uh if you're really really sick and you can't stand up it's time to ground yourself isn't it yeah, definitely. It, you know, and it's so easy if you're if you're out of way, it's so easy to grab a, a hotel uh, for the night or whatever, you know, to give yourself a chance to recover a little bit. Um, you know, the paved checklist that somebody mentioned earlier, that first one is personal um, and the I'm safe checklist. Uh, the first two uh, points on that are illness and medication. And uh, those are those are big things. And as Victoria said, at altitude, you respond really differently to some medications than you do on the ground. So even if, if you even if you feel good on the ground, um, once you get up in the air, it's a whole different world. And then you throw yeah, night I, operations in there, too. And then you've got a whole other uh, issue yeah. to deal with. 
you know, by the way, before we, we go too much further into this, a little disclaimer, you know, we're all not doctors and stuff, and we're, we're kind of talking about things, but uh, the most important thing is to, to go out and find those resources, especially your AME, and discover if, uh, if you're going to take a medicine, discover if, it's, if you're going to be legal to fly that. You know, it's, it's really, really important. Uh, to go out there and do that because it's it's something that we want to we want to make sure that you're safe to fly because we want people to keep flying and we'd hate to have you run into a problem with uh with that there so make sure you do go out and you find out if you're legal to fly great great stuff out there as far as uh information on aopa's website you do have to be a member there but uh i actually used a service recently um and it's uh I can't remember the website. I'll look it up, but it's a pilot medical service, and you can actually you can pay for it, and you can talk to the doctor, and they'll give you advice because they're they are in you know an aviation medical examiner, and they've been through the process with the FAA, and they really are a big help. Uh, as far as other things, as far as sickness, say you have some type of sickness also that that might put you out of flying for a while. These people will help you out there. We haven't even talked about that, but. Um, interestingly enough, if you have, say, a stent put in for your heart, uh, most people can go back to work a few days later. You know, I know my dad had one put in and, and was, you know, walking around and very healthy, but there are some issues with that. You have to go and actually do a few things to make sure that you're able to fly. And uh, we won't go into too much because it depends on what procedure you had done. But just as a, a little horror story here, I have a friend that was uh, the procedure was not documented properly as far as fa was concerned and usually it's about six months to get back to to flying again after a stent's put in and it took this person over 24 months to get their uh, their pilot certificate back so it's really important to ask questions of people that know know exactly what they're doing there but uh really 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 good stuff here i think this is important to know this yeah hey carl yes sir i i found that uh list of the uh the aopa uh, their list of medications and also i guess we can put that in the show notes Wait, and cool. uh just yeah just to follow up uh, nyquil is 60 hours actually which is even longer than than i thought so interesting just to correct that information interesting yeah. yeah yeah stay away from the nyquil yeah wow no doubt yeah gosh no and and again that's the other reason we tell you to go and 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 do the research online and and because we, we you know we're just talking here what we think may be true uh, but we have to definitely go look it up. So really, really cool stuff. By the way, on ALPA's website, I was just looking there. There's somebody we know on the front page uh, that's actually that right now I'm looking at it, and it's uh, Victoria. You were actually uh, out there showing people different uh, devices. What is that thing that you're using? Oh, to tow the airplane. We already yeah, it was that. a robo-tow. Yeah, that's ah, right. Yeah. I want one of those. Yeah, cool <laughs> stuff. Cool, cool stuff. Well, you're looking pretty happy, though, because you're next to an airplane. And uh, so I, I encourage Can't anybody go to go out there. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, anyway, on to the next topic. I know we uh, got to get this last one in here quickly uh, before we move on to our picks of the week. There's um, the interesting. Uh, there was a couple people that had asked us about uh, stabilized approaches. And what was cool is AOPA did an article uh, that uh, included the University of North Dakota in a research doing research on stabilized approaches and you know some people ask me you know what is a stabilized approach and and i always say to them i said and this is kind of funny and i'll come back to this again i always tell them you'll know it when you see it if you feel like you're not stabilized you're probably not stabilized on the approach you won't always know it when you see it but for the most part you will and you'll say to yourself 
this doesn't look right. So what do we do when this doesn't look right? It's time to go around. Am I guilty of not going around when I should have? Yep, I am. Uh, but, you know, go around is a go around, and that's uh, what you need to do. I've done, in the past uh, six months, I've done like three go arounds. And uh, that normally doesn't happen, especially at work. You don't hardly ever hear about people going around. But let's talk a little bit about that as far as stabilized approaches. And I think uh, one of our fellow podcasters, I think it was Eric, who is uh, is the one that is is brought up the whole stabilized approach. And I know this article, I know, Russ, they were talking about patterns and, and things like that. But they also mentioned in this uh, in this article about being stabilized on the final approach. So we'll talk a, lot, a little bit about the, the curved patterns, but I do want to talk about the uh, stabilized approaches first. So, Eric, what, what exactly is a stabilized approach? Well, that's a really good question. You know, forever in uh, general aviation, we've been trying to take the Part 121 definition of a stabilized approach and somehow sort of apply that to what we do because we don't, uh, we don't typically have uh, anywhere close to the same landing profile that you guys do. Um, we don't do the same um, type of uh, traffic pattern necessarily. We don't definitely don't fly the same um, types of legs. So um, there are there are some differences between um, what has always been the standard uh, stabilized approach definition in the 121 world and the reality of how things actually work in general aviation. So um, uh, I guess it was probably a little over a year ago now the FA released a new advisory circular. It's 61-98 Charlie. And this one's great because uh, for the first time, the FA actually defines what a stabilized approach is in a GA airplane, uh, which is, is pretty awesome. And basically what they say is that they want you to be uh, stabilized 1,000 feet above the airport elevation and if you're in IMC and by 500 feet above airport elevation during straight-in approaches during visual me- meteorological conditions. So the idea here is um, that uh, And then they break that down into seven different things, so from your glide path to your heading to your airspeed, the configuration of the airplane, the rate of descent. And, and, and really the first time you look at it, you probably look at it and go, that is the most complicated definition I've ever seen in my life. But, but all of us who've flown GA know that there isn't one type of approach in a GA airplane. Um, and so I think what the FA did here was actually really, really intelligent and really good for that matter uh, because it, it specifies – different criteria um, that, you know, this may apply if you're doing, say, an instrument approach straight in. This may apply more if you're doing a standard, you know, rectangular traffic pattern. This may be more for your uh, 10-mile final coming into the airport uh, because we do have so many different ways uh, that we enter the traffic pattern and and land a GA airplane. So it's a great AC. It's got a lot of other great information in it, like loss of control, which is one of the major uh, guiding principles, I guess, if you will, uh, for this research on uh, better uh, traffic patterns, because we, we keep we keep having a lot of fatalities in this loss of control during landing. That um, you know the downwind to base, specifically base to final turn, um, you're just losing control of the airplane at an altitude where recovery is just not possible, and um, and that's sad. We really shouldn't do that. And uh, you know I, I'm interested to see where this circular traffic pattern research goes. Um, it's an interesting idea for sure. Um, and I think it's the the whole idea here is to increase awareness and increase the likelihood of a stabilized approach when we're coming to land a GA airplane. Yeah, and I think this is really important. And and as far as looking at the patterns, of course, we you know we're sitting here talking about this, and I just realized I hardly ever do a squared pattern at work, but we do. Uh, we actually have patterns where we're squared off, et cetera, but our squared off patterns 
give us plenty of time to make those turns, et cetera. Our, the patterns are, you know, very, very large. But what's really good, and I'm glad you brought this up and included it in the article that we're talking about, UND and, and ALPA are studying this circular pattern. Like, I, like you said, Eric, I'm excited to see what they, they come up with in this whole study. I kind of like the idea, and, uh, you know, I, I know that when I'm out there with students and we're practicing power-off type landings, et cetera, they may turn into a more continuous type of a circling approach. So it's be kind of interesting to see where where this goes and, and if it's going to actually decrease the number of, of uh, you know, fatalities if it's actually implemented or also stop those stalls in the pattern and uh, it may work i think i think it i think it will i think it'll be exciting uh but uh it'll be cool uh that it's going to be uh it's going to be something that i i've been talking about for years and i obviously won't be telling my students to do this right away but uh i think it's it's going to be fun to see if this does come out to something that'll be implemented in years to come actually these type of things do take a while to actually implement but i love the fact that AOPA Air Safety is doing this, and I love the fact that they're involving one of the universities. Really, really cool stuff. So, so great, and you know, hats off to AOPA and UND for doing this here. And thanks, Eric, for that discussion on stabilized approaches. Why the uh, you know a lot of us talk about stabilized being at a thousand feet, five hundred feet in visual. There's different. Uh, everybody has different standards. Uh, my my only thing that I say to people is if you take those standards, you raise them a little bit, you increase your, your minimums, in other words, instead of saying at 500 feet, if I'm visual, I'm going to go around, say it's a, make it like 750 or, or 1,000 feet. Uh, if you're somebody who's actually fairly new to flying, it might be a, a great idea. But uh, the uh, as far as the rounded patterns, gosh, we have a little bit of time to talk about that and some opinions. Does anybody have an opinion on on flying those rounded patterns? Have they done that before? As, as uh, you know, Russ, do you have an opinion on that? Well, I think uh, well, I'm sure we've all probably flown them at one time or another. The the difference that we're that we're talking about here and that they're studying is uh, you know flying, I guess, kind of a normal downwind, and then instead of you know making to you know a turn to base and then a turn to final making it one continuous sweeping turn and so we've all done that at some time or another where it's working on the emergency landings or you know power off 180s for a commercial or something like that but as far as what i'm interested to see and I, i'm i'm glad they're they're looking at it just because i i i'm interested in the results um their intent is to try to reduce loss of control you know prevent overshooting of final uh and you know steeper bank angles and that kind of stuff I'm curious if this methodology is actually going to to help with that, and I'm not at this time. I'm not convinced that it necessarily will. I think you know if you, if you have a tailwind and you're trying to maintain this um, constant you know bank angle around, it's still going to affect you. And any you know, of some other factors of visibility and such, we all know with the, the you know the high wing airplanes and you lose sight of the runway. So it'll be interesting to see what they come out with and if it if it works better or, or not. Of course. You know, then you'll have, uh, you know, it, let's say that it turns out to be a far superior method. Then you'll have a, a long, you know, decades of, um, I guess, transition into the, into people teaching and flying this uh, this kind of new new procedure. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Uh, I'm not holding my breath or anything on on some miracle cure to to loss of control, though. Right. Yeah, and, and again, that's that's what we're hoping for is that it'll come up with with something that's gonna maybe not cure it, but uh, make it a little bit better. I don't know. We'll see. How about you, Eric? Do you yeah, do you I mean, feel this is a good thing? Uh, I, I mean, Russ, you had something else you want to say on that? 
Oh, no, I just was – yeah, I, I agree. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And I know, Eric, you teach your students, obviously, the rectangular patterns, but what do you think of this? What do you think of the, the circular patterns? Well, I mean, I understand what Russ is saying. I agree with that, too. I mean, obviously, we do this already. If you're dealing with simulated engine failures or whatever, we, we teach the student to – you know, remain within the whole point is to remain within gliding distance to the end of the runway so that at any point during this particular uh, maneuver, I can make it to ground that is clear for me to land on. So from a safety consciousness standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense. But I think and I, I totally understand the visibility concerns. That was the the first thing I when I read this I was like, yeah, but what about people who fly 172s? Um, you know, that's going to be problematic uh, to some extent. But but I think the thing that interests me the most about it is the um, the coordination and the airplane control skill that it teaches. Because we usually think of the traffic pattern as being this method, you know, to an end. Like I enter the traffic pattern so I can get on the ground, as opposed to looking at it as a a very um, serialized step by step way to configure the airplane at, in the appropriate uh, descent profile in the appropriate aircraft configuration at the appropriate speed at the appropriate heading um and we sort of take that stuff for granted i think the idea of a continuous circular turn we certainly see that uh, russ pointed out power off 180s in commercial you know that i I'm, maybe i'm speaking for myself but when it comes to commercial or cfi training if you can nail the power off 180 you pretty much got it that's the last thing that they <laughs> that you perfect because it, it is it's a that's a high demand high performance maneuver to get it right and to get it within that uh, that touchdown zone requirement. So I think just the idea of teaching students to fly that way, to think that way, to approach to land um, with the idea of aircraft control being a constant thing as opposed to really only caring about that when I enter a turn from downwind to base or base to final and then realizing all too late that I've overshot – um, I think it keeps it on their mind. So uh, again, I don't think I, I think certainly in this uh, this particular topic, the jury's still out. I mean, the jury hasn't even convened yet. So um, you know, give it some time and and whatever. But uh, very anxious to see what uh, comes out of this. And I, I think the the training benefits are are interesting in and of themselves. I agree. Actually, um, I do a lot of circular patterns when I fly a tailwheel aircraft. Uh, for some reason. A lot of tailwheel pilots uh, like to do the circular patterns, and I feel like it makes um, part of its visibility, I believe, but another part of it is um, you're more coordinated and you're also more efficient. Um, my flight instructor, when learning tailwheel, was constantly saying, why aren't you turning base now? We can make the runway. Just pull the power and go. And I would. And I'd hit the numbers any every time. I wouldn't waste runway. I wouldn't waste gas doing this perfect, you know, turning on the 45 square pattern. And uh, we ended up getting a lot more landings in. And, you know, it was a little more challenging and a little more fun in the end. Um it's it's something I think everyone should try at least in practice. You know, maybe Victoria. With that said, uh, this would be a good question to our listeners: is maybe we overemphasize the the pattern as far as being rectangular. It's uh, one of the things that I used to always teach my students: if if it doesn't look perfect, don't worry too much because of the fact the most important thing is to keep aircraft control, control the plane, control the plane. So if it is a more looks more like an egg shape as opposed to a square or a rectangle, that's fine. Uh, sometimes I think we we drill in their heads a little bit too much, our students, that it has to be this rectangular pattern. Uh, well, if it's if it's safer not to do that, 
and especially if you're being blown by the wind or whatever, uh, you may not be able to do that. Or if you're flying a faster airplane, you may have to do this circular pattern, especially as you start getting into a faster, like a Mooney, et cetera, and you have something tight, a tight end approach, et cetera. So there are, there are applications of that. Uh, and I'd love to hear more discussion. I think this is a great opening of a discussion as far as uh, more circular-type patterns and the rectangular patterns. There are advantages to both, of course, uh, and uh, I think I'd, I'd love to see some of the research from them, but I'd also love to hear from a lot of our listeners about this. Uh, anyway, we are getting a little bit uh, long in here as far as in our discussion on these patterns. I, I, ho- I would love to hear from those folks that are listening right now uh, what they think about the rectangular and also this possibility of a circular pattern. Do them at work all the time. As far as visibility at work, obviously, I don't even, I can't even see my wings. Uh, you know, people ask, you know, how, why do airliners do that? One of the thing is the speeds, and number two, uh, we don't have anything blocking our views because we're we're a lot further in front of the wings, so it's not not much of a, an issue for us there as far as visibility is concerned. Uh, moving on to our next segment, this is a great discussion, guys, and I, I'd love to continue this. We could talk for about two hours on. On this, but uh, we will do some more in the next episode. But before the next episode, of course, comes an important part, and that is the picks of the week. Our picks of the week. Let's start with the picks of the week, and I am going to have uh, Eric jump in here first with his pick of the week. Eric, my pick of the week is the AOPA Air Safety Institute interactive online courses. Um, if you have seen these before, then you know you have because they're incredible resources. These are free uh, to anybody. You don't have to be an AOPA member. Uh, you simply just have to create a free account so that uh, you can log into the courses. Tons of options there. Um, and for anybody who would just like that little refresher every once in a while, I think these courses are outstanding. But then especially if you're transitioning to, into a new airplane or you're trying to dust off some instrument skills, there's so much stuff in there. Um, even a new uh, online course on uh, unmanned aircraft. So all kinds of things constantly being added to and modified. And, you know, hats off to the guys over at the Air Safety Institute who do an incredible job of helping keep us safe. So that's my pick of the week. And again, Eric, these are free courses? They're free. They're free. That's the best part about them. Free is the right price. Yeah, that's a great um, price. And it's, it's great information. And these courses are relatively short. Most of them are, you know, um, some, some as short as 15 to 20 minutes. Um, everybody's got 20 minutes to improve their safety mindset. Uh, it's it's worth it, absolutely guaranteed. Quote of the week, everybody has 20 minutes to improve their safety mindset. I like that, Eric. Um, I'm going to use that in the future if you don't mind. I'm going to rob that one from you. Cost you 20 bucks every time you say it. <laughs> All right, I won't say it again. But the, Everybody uh, <laughs> else can use it for free, Carl. It costs Carl. you 20 bucks. Ooh, yep. he's, he's getting back at me, I could tell. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for that. That's an, that's an awesome pick of the week. I love their courses. Really neat stuff. And they have some great paid courses, too. So there, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, let's see. Moving on. My pick of the week, I'll go next, is uh, I mentioned the Mooney. Uh, I mentioned also that I'm going to be doing some training, and uh, one of the things I'm training on right now is the Avidyne 440. Uh, just had an Avidyne 440 put in the Mooney, and uh, I need to get myself familiar with this. And the one cool thing about the Internet is the fact that you have lots of different videos that are out there. The Avidyne 
website has this real cool video page uh, that has some good introductory videos. And like you said, 20 minutes, everybody has 20 minutes. Well, these are like a couple minutes long and really cool stuff. I love the fact that it's easy to put in flight plans on the on the 440. And uh, I think that's, a, that's one of the benefits so far that I can see. But if you go out to avidine.com, uh, and you, I'll have a link to the 440 page. You can also look at the 540 page. Uh, but there's some really neat stuff in there that describes not just how to use it, but also how to, how to link it into your Bluetooth, uh, your Bluetooth uh, keyboard, also Bluetooth into your uh, iPad. And to uh, actually, and I think this is going to work, but you can actually type things into your iPad and it'll, it'll go over to the, the 440. I haven't tried that yet, so I want to see how that works out there, especially using like all the different flight planning softwares like uh, ForeFlight, etc. It'll actually inter- integrate with that. But I thought the videos were really cool. So go check that out on the Avidine page. Uh, let's see, next pick of the week is, uh, let's see, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, you know, I... Uh my pick of the week is the NASA website, actually. I hadn't been to the NASA.gov website in, I don't know, years, I guess, because, well, how many .gov websites do you really want to go to? You know, they're not very exciting or, or interesting, you know, certainly. And so I, I happened to go to NASA.gov for some other reasons, and I was like, wow, this this is really pretty cool. I mean, they've got tons of photos on there. They got right now on the... On their webpage, they, they, we have the, uh, the the forest fires burning down in, like, the Georgia area. And so they've got pictures from space of the fires and, of course, uh, you know, all, all the astronomy-type stuff. Pictures of the, you know, sunsets from the space station and, of course, all the science, uh, scientific and technical-type news. It's actually a really well-done website and pretty interesting, you know, especially, like I said, considering it's a .gov, which, you know— Usually not the uh, the first place you'd go for your uh, entertainment. So, yeah. So 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 NASA.gov. Like I said, check it out. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, they have some really cool stuff and, out there. Yeah, and oh, actually, and then I found out I haven't actually downloaded these, but they have a ton of apps that said you know check out our NASA app. So I went to the app store for they've got them on uh, iOS and Android, and and there's something like ten different NASA apps maybe, and you know, all different types of things from. You know, educational to, you know, streaming the NASA TV of the, you know, launches of rockets and that kind of stuff. So pretty neat. Awesome. Yeah, there's some I love NASA. They have some amazing stuff out there. Their channel's cool, too, on on TV. So thanks again for that. That's a terrific one. Uh, Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, I was going to say earlier, speaking of 20 minutes, uh, if you have 20 minutes to kill, you can <laughs> use this app that I that I've been playing around with. Um, it's uh, it's it's on Android and iOS. It's and I've got you know I think I've been playing with it a little bit, and there's a couple things I really like about it, and a lot of the reviews are good, but the cri- the criticisms I think are valid. So it's sort of a mixed review. Um, it's called it's a sort of. Um, in, 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 I don't know. It's a bold kind of title. Unmatched air traffic control. Apparently, the the people who created it think that they have the best air traffic control app uh, out there, and it, it is pretty cool. It's very, um, uh, it's very visually uh, appealing. It's called Unmatched Air Traffic Control. It's for iOS and Android. Um, and uh, what's great about it is it looks great, and it's free, and it's it's pretty sophisticated in terms of the way it looks. And I can imagine that if you play it long enough and uh, engage in the game far enough and make complicated airports, um, it can get pretty, you know, pretty challenging as any typical uh, inbound, outbound taxiing kind of uh, 
uh, air traffic control game uh, can be. The, the dilemma is that there it's free, but there but there's in-app purchases, and there are also ways to earn money against the purchases you want to make. But the pace at which you earn the money to buy things in the game um, is slow, and most of the people complaining would like that to be faster. They want to you know kind of get free coins for doing the tasks quicker so they can upgrade. And upgrading includes extra planes, extra gates, extra airports, you know, growing the environment. So it starts, but but it's 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 interesting enough to test out for free uh, because it starts with a single runway airport uh, and you've got, I think, three or four available gates and there's inbound and outbound traffic. And basically you can, you can make it all work and test it out and see if you want to invest uh, either cash or 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 flying time in uh, in growing the uh, inventory, but I think it's a lot of fun. And with that one caveat that uh, if you're into it and have the disposable income, you can you can uh, build up some pretty nice airports pretty quickly with cash. Otherwise, you're going to play for a while. So, Interesting. But it's called unmatched air traffic control, and it's visually it's 3D. You know, it looks like a flight simulator, so you can pivot around any airplane, pivot around the uh, the ta- from the tower view. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of really nice stuff. Cool. It looks like you can even go into the like a cockpit view too. Well, that may be. Yeah, that may be the that screen view may be inside the tower. I don't. I I haven't gone inside, but there is a, you know, track the plane and you can pivot around the plane. There's view from the tower. There's also um, there's another. There's a third view, and then the the tower has a binoculars view, which is cool, which zooms that same perspective. Yeah, so um, I like it, and and I think if you're patient enough and you just fly around for a while, you'll you know you'll be able to make it more complicated. It just takes a while, uh, and it, it, but it's like anything else. If you want to put some some actual money into it, and I haven't. Let's see. So it looks to me like to add a plane at an airport. Look, looking at these in-app purchases is four bucks per plane per you know. Per, per space, you know, so it it starts. It's it's expensive if if you really want to get into it. But if you love air traffic stuff, I would I would recommend it. It's pretty cool. Awesome. It's the 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 Farmville of air traffic control. It sounds like exactly. <laughs> well, I've done. You know, I think we've all probably played games that are sort of two dimensional and and it's more about the process. This this is process, but it's also um, uh, you know, but it's also three D three dimensional and visually nice. Uh, and and I've played it enough. I mean, it really it helps to know. That I don't have to worry about a about an airplane heading up to to uh, the whole short line. Uh, that that I don't need to tell them much until I want to tell them something. <laughs> that they're going <laughs> to stop, and then you know. So you, there's some things that you just know from from actually flying that that help you anticipate what's going to happen next. It's kind of cool that way. That is cool. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks, Rick. I, I'm yeah. definitely going to check that one out. That sounds like a lot yeah. of fun. Awesome. Can you play other people? Did you say? Um, don't. No. Why don't you let someone else talk, and I'll yeah. do a little research. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. And thanks for that one, Rick. And the next uh, pick of the week is Victoria. What is your pick of the week? Oh, I was actually couldn't think of anything this week, but then um, my coworker I got these as a gift for someone. Uh, there's this craze going on for women uh, called Lularoe, and they have these leggings, and you have these parties, and you buy these super comfy leggings. Apparently. Well, for our uh, female listeners, uh, they now have airplane leggings, and uh, there's several different patterns, but they're really hard to get. So um, I did an eBay search, and some of them are so popular, you have to spend 60 bucks to get these airplane leggings. But apparently, they're the comfiest things ever, and they have airplanes on them. Wow. I tell you, I know what I'm going to get Eric this year for Christmas. 
The, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, William Carl, that's so sweet. We yeah. get matching leggings. Yeah, I was checking out the unicorn ones there, Eric. They look pretty cool. Actually, they do look kind of neat. I was like, I'm zooming in on some of these. Pretty neat stuff. I like the uh, the ones, <laughs> <laughs> the paper airplane ones are real cool too. Cool, awesome. The uh, well, thanks for that one, uh, Victoria. And no, Eric, I am not going to get you that this year. Sorry. Uh, the uh, <laughs> I'll learn to live with the disappointment. <laughs> I know he always does with me. <laughs> the uh, the next one is uh, Larry. Uh, last but not least, and this is an awesome pick of the week, is Larry Orsti. What is your pick of the week? Hey guys. Um, so uh, just real quick, I want to I want to back up to Eric's because um, that is a really great pick. And I was counting up uh, earlier. I've been flying now for 37 years, wow. which just shocks me. Um, but even, you know, even, you know, with doing some things a bunch of times or whatever, uh, I'm really happy to learn new things that I can learn and be a little safer, you know, pick up some video tips, whatever. So whether it's from AOPA or, you know, Sporties or King or the Finer Points or some of the other people that are putting out good videos um, that just helped me, you know, with, with different aspects of aviation. Uh, those are really, really good. So, you know, go check out the AOPA videos, uh, you know, Air Safety Foundation. Those, those are really good. Um, anyway, mine is that there's this little thing coming up called Hanukkah and Christmas and, you know, maybe some other things, you know, for different listeners. Um, and we need gifts. And so mine is the Pilot Mall, which is a great... Uh, uh, shop online, pilotmall.com, where you can find, you know, gifts and, and great items for uh, pilots, future pilots, um, aviation enthusiasts, whatever. Uh, and it's it's run by uh, Neil Glazer, who, you know, for those of you who have been to Sun and Fun before, you know, great aviation enthusiast, great aviation supporter. Um, and so if you're looking for that gift for a, a pilot this year and leggings aren't quite the thing, uh, you might want to try Pilot Mall. <laughs> See, Carl? No. Larry's told you where to go shop for me. I'm looking at it now. I'm going to send you a gift certificate and said, sorry. Well, it's sorry, terrible. Yeah. They're next door to me. Like, I, I try so hard not to go I think the minimum, the minimum is like a dollar, though. Really? Mm-hmm. The, uh, I, I tell you, though, this, this guy, he does some great work. And like you said, Larry, he's a, he's a wonderful person, has done so much. He is uh, a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Hats, yep. hats off to what he does for aviation. I want one of those little things that you can go running around with and uh, the little airplane car. I don't know if they still have those. Remember those little cars that they had that you could drive around and stuff like that? Yes. Um, this is why I don't go over there. Because if I went over there, my children wouldn't eat. No. Because I would use, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a pilot's Christmas store. Oh, and it's yeah. open all year round. Um, I actually found out today that one of my students just got a job over there. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. And so he was asking me how he could improve his average in one of his classes. And I said, well, you know, you slip me some headsets and some Garmin stuff, and we can probably make a deal. We can um, talk. We're not recording this, are we? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, I, I love I love Neil and his wife, Stephanie. Are, are They're both awesome people. And um and and just have a the coolest store ever. Yeah, and they do, and and like you said, they have a lot of cool events too. So if you ever get a chance, if you're in the Lakeland, Florida area, yeah, pop in there and uh, and not just during Sun and Fun. Cool, cool. And uh, anyway, so we are going to research the uh, the thing about the unmatched air traffic control as far as a pick of the week and see if you can. Yeah, play I, as a, oh, yeah, I, I, from what I've seen so far, it is it's just isolated to your own you against the system. I don't think it's an integrated. It, it spends a lot of time working on that. So I, my guess is it's not. It's not. Um, like I don't know what you would. I don't know how. You, 
how like you're not controlling someone else who's going to be a pilot right um yeah exactly (laughs) that'd be that'd be the matching app (laughs) well that'd be our suggestion of the week so uh a matching app for that but uh yeah anyway the uh that was awesome i really appreciate you mentioning that because that looks like fun i'm definitely going to go check that one out uh, and uh, like you said, if you have a whole bunch of money to spend, you can go out and get all the airplanes yeah. that you want. Uh, otherwise, I'll be waiting. It's it's po- <laughs> it's Pokemon Go for planes. Yes, I like that. That's better than yeah. That's a better way to say it instead of <laughs> Farmville. But uh, anyway, well, gosh, that was it. I, oh, there's one more thing we started to do, and uh, I don't know if you noticed, we're putting a new video of the week at the bottom of the post, and our, our hosts and also our uh, our friends out there, you, the listeners. Uh, we'll actually send us a video, and we'll possibly post it at the bottom, and we'll come up with our video of the week. This video of the week is actually, it includes, it's on Facebook, and we're going to have it at the bottom. You hit hit play, and it's actually transitioning to multi-engine aircraft, and it's an M0A flight training video. And actually, ours truly, Tom Frick, is the person that's in the video. So uh, that's really uh, a really cool intro. And I think actually, I don't know if Eric Crump has actually seen the video, but it's actually the uh, aircraft that they used to use at the school. Uh, furthermore, I love that airplane. Do, yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. And uh, the Technum, right? Yeah, the Technum 2006. It's mm-hmm. just uh, oh, it's just fun to fly. It, it actually it lands very nose low. Um, so you're it, it's really odd to... Uh, to learn to land the airplane because you feel like you're just going to run, run yourself right into the asphalt. Uh, it's awesome, though. Cool, cool. So definitely check out uh, Stuck My Gavcast uh, 133. Go to the bottom and click on the video, and uh, you'll be able to watch it right there. The uh, If you have a suggestion, of course, please write into us. Also, don't forget the Instagram account. We're trying to figure out this Instagram stuff. I know Victoria is really going to be a big help there because she knows a lot more about Instagram than I think most of us here. Uh, she's put out some – you put some really cool pictures, Victoria, on your Instagram. She's uh, ho- helping us control that. And also don't forget our Facebook page. Uh, well, folks, that uh, went a little bit long this week, but we really appreciate your listening. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of feedback on this episode. I'd love to hear your opinions on some of the things we talked about. Uh, and also, uh, you know, Make sure you do something uh, this week that will actually help you enhance your safety. Remember that whole 20 minutes, uh, you know, Eric, I think was that said that, you know, there is something that you can do. Uh, just take that 20 minutes to enhance yourself as far as safety is concerned. Just take 20 minutes of your time. That's all I'm, I'm asking you to do. And go out, talk to somebody about something in aviation that we've talked about. Maybe it's uh, getting ready for your winter flying, flying your patterns. Uh, whether you are actually able to fly with the, the medicine you're taking or if you're you're fit to fly. But do something, something along those lines uh, between now and the ep- next episode. And, and tell us uh, what, you know, what your experience has been. Well, for myself and also Eric and, and Russ and Rick and Victoria, Larry, uh, boy, you know, we really appreciate your listening. We can't wait to talk to you again next episode. Safe flying and see you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.